Mm. It's it's going to be an interesting one because I had a conversation with someone yesterday about AI and chat GPT yeah. and about the ethical yeah. and moral implications of using it as a tool. And you're like, yes, let's use it. So let's let's go. Um, you do your promotion thing and then I'm going to bat it down. <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. So I think for me, um, as someone who has always struggled with creating tons of content, who gets stuck in that inertia of getting started, who sometimes needs a little bit of a prompt. As we spoke about in this podcast, you do a lot of the kind of uploading and I come in here and I'm able to really regularly show up to this because I have something as a motivator that helps keep me on track. Um, And when it comes to being a solo business owner, content creator, whatever it is, it can be quite hard to just know what to do next especially when it's like you just get nothing when you get crickets, especially at the beginning of your journey, when you've grown to a certain size or when you disappear for three weeks and then all of a sudden the algorithm's gone and is no longer on your side. And whatever reason it may be, which the algorithm is never on your side, it's not about you. But still, side point. And I want to so caveat that very quickly. Keep, keep whatever you've got in mind. The algorithm, when people say that, what they really mean okay. is the audience. Like mm. the audience, the people that are watching either have forgotten about you, don't know about yeah. you. Like it's the audience, not the algorithm, because the algorithm is like directed at the audience. The audience, um, yes. Yeah. So just caveat yeah. there for those that are like, oh, the algorithm is the problem. No, it's not. The audience is it's the problem. It's not. It is the audience. <laughs> but when you don't have an audience because you've been, and this happens to me quite a lot, I often go through periods where I just don't have ideas and I get stuck like just that moving forward, that push just to get started on something, which I've experienced that with lots of clients that I speak to. A lot of business owners find that really hard, even if it's something that they love to talk about, which everything that I do, I love to talk about. There is a period of like, well, I don't even know where to start. What do I do? Where do I begin? And and how? what's that first trigger to get me into it and to get me started? Um, and for me especially with the fact that I, I I wouldn't say I don't want to be a content creator because I am creating content, which in itself makes me a content creator. But I'm, I'm not interested in following the trends in that way where you just create content in a certain way and you follow what everybody else talks to you about and you use special templates and stuff like that. For me, I find that uninteresting. I want to create stuff that I enjoy. Now that's a bias on my point. And I've seen the content creator space and all of the tactics that can be used by certain content creators. And I'm I'm not really a fan of it. And I'm, I'm a busy guy with two, you know, two children and I have my own shit and stuff and reasons why I struggle with being in the content creator space. But I have to create content. I'm a business owner first. I would rather be on a one-to-one call with a client versus sitting in a studio talking at myself. Uh, I hear myself talk way too much. And so for me, I wanted to find a way that can just help support that. That's what a system is to me. A system is a bunch of components coming together to be a support net for the person at the center of the system, which in this case, as it's my system, it's me. And so for me, I view ChatGPT as a piece of that. Now, I don't use ChatGPT to write content for me because I have my style of voice 
<laughs> which is not suited really for the way that ChatGPT, and I argue that most people's actual voices don't suit ChatGPT's style of writing because we don't speak in very clear sentences. We don't have that, like, there is a different cadence than most AI and chat GPT I have found can't quite replicate it. It can come incredibly close, but it cannot replicate my voice. So I need to have my voice, but I need to know where to start. And when it comes to generating ideas, that has always been a thing that like I get not necessarily bored with my ideas. I think that's not quite right, but I get bored with saying the same thing over and over and over again. I want to say different things. I want to have an interaction with a human being on the other side. This podcast works so well is because you're on the other side of of you know the screen with questions, clarifications, you know, all of the things that make me think, which is what I enjoy doing. I enjoy creating content that makes me think and make other people think and buy my stuff of course um and so for me the thing that i use ChatGPT for primarily at the moment is content generation ideas or like what would happen if a client was listening to an episode of my podcast and it had questions and if they were and and i use very specific language for the audience that i want to listen to my podcast and by being really directive and specific in my prompt, I actually get some really cool ideas, some really cool thoughts of like, hey, here's a question that I would have. Here are pieces that you're missing because it's so unbiased. In Well, unbiased, as unbiased as it can be. It's more unbiased than I am because I have the information that I have. I have the knowledge that I have. And so it makes it easier for me to be able to go, okay, here's a few things that I didn't even consider. Oh, cool. That's a piece of content. So I'm going to write something about that and I'll create an episode about what that question is to help answer those questions, to help keep creating content and then to help start linking things together. And as I create Often what happens, one question comes up and then there's like five other questions that I'm like, oh, yeah, they also might be asking this. They also might be asking that. And that kind of kickstarts my like creative flair to actually go, I'm now going to record 10 podcast episodes in a row because I'm so excited about all of the questions that have come up for me. And so that for me is what I think is the best use of chat gpt for me like personally i enjoy using it as a as a kind of generative tool because it gives me an opportunity to get out my own head for a bit there is so much in there that i'm like oh i want to follow oh i want to dive uh i think the only thing that really s sticks to mind where i'm like okay i really need to pick 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 and be like what's going on there is yeah the, the the content creator thing when you were talking about content um and you said you you don't want to do the like the the hacks the marketing stuff that the content creators do what i'm curious to understand though is what what elements are you talking about and what elements would you be doing instead because what the Content creators do the the tactics as as you as you call them are there ways to use human interest, human psychology <laughs> to obviously watch the video. And if you don't do any of them, no one's going to watch because humans are going to get bored. So, is it like a you have some you have some things in mind that you don't want it to be? Yeah, 
right okay like i don't you don't want to do like a mr beast video where like there's a hundred things flying at your face yeah every second. I, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the it's the it's the kind of I was about to say the cliched stuff that we're all told to do now, like, you know, super fast videos where it's flying in the corners and everywhere. And I, and obviously I understand a little bit of attention and all that lovely stuff. Cause I know that the research is there, but what I don't want to be doing for me is overtly manipulating my audience excessively. Like everything I do is a, pure manipulation and it feels and i know you're going to pull that apart so i was like yeah that, that is like, the that is the i i feel like that's something you feel yes not that's something that's happening because when you say manipulation in my mind that's doing something in order to get someone to do something they wouldn't necessarily do otherwise mm. which yeah you could argue saying cutting something out because it's boring is manipulating the audience but i wouldn't say that's necessarily a bad thing because to me that's education like hence the use of excessive manipulation trying to make someone do something they actually don't want to do pushing on like excessive pushing on pain points there is a balance there is a there is a so is that more on the topic they're talking about rather than the editing style that they're using? Um, it depends on what you're creating and it also depends on the context that we're in. If we're in the YouTube mm. context, I mean, I'm not in the YouTube context. <laughs> I'm not in the YouTube context. The, the reason me- I ask, yeah, the, reason, the reason I ask to quickly to clarify is obviously there are completely different spheres of YouTube. Yeah. Someone that's on YouTube, you, like I, I know all the different types of creation styles and some yeah. of them are literally, I've picked up a camera and I'm going to put, so there's a, there's a channel with over hundred K subs uh, and they pick up a camera recorder, like a really old camera recorder and record themselves potting plants. They do no cuts. They do no edits. There's that's no so audio cool. and they just pot plants. And it's, it's like an hour long video and they get thousands and thousands of views and there's like no manipulation but then you have someone else in the same same industry doing literally the exact same thing and they cut it but their target is for a different audience their target is for students rather than planters gardeners those sorts of people so it's not a manipulation in a, a negative sense in my eyes it's a i've decided this editing style suits the people i want to attract yeah and then if you take it out of gardening, you've got the sensationalistic Mr. Beast style videos of things flying at you. Obviously, that's normally directed at a younger audience that are used to TikToks and don't have no ability to pay attention to anything. Uh, <laughs> but it can also be, OK, well, we're going to do this sensationalistic style thing, but we're going to slow it down and we're going to methodically go through things, maybe in time-lapse styles. So it's still the same editing style, just with a different content. And then to add a third one in, because we love threes, you've got video essays. And video yeah, essays which... are drastically different. And sometimes you can watch a video essay and it's really, really well produced, i.e. Philosophy Tube. Um, but there's hardly any editing in it. It's just, they've got a scene, they've got a set, and they've just yeah. recorded a person talking in the set. And then you have other video essays like James Janney and Johnny Harris, well, where you'll see them and then there'll be loads of B-roll and loads of visual anchors to help you understand what's going on. And then they'll jump back to themselves. And I think using what you were saying as tactics, 
I think all of the video creators use tactics to create a story. And if you don't have tactics, you've only got one style of story. So my, I guess my question is, there's obviously tactics or editing styles and, and narrations and ways of building stories that would not necessarily suit you better, but you would yeah. feel more comfortable doing. Yes, there are there are, and and to clarify, what I am referencing and what I'm saying is less about video and more about the other like text media sales copy from a business standpoint versus a, a content creator standpoint, if that makes sense. So I'm talking about kind of. I, the business I still stuff. see the same thing there. I mean, video obviously has a lot more information. Video's got lots yeah. of editing, videos, there's multiple mediums. You've got audio, you've got visual, uh, and then you've got the actual words. With text, it's the same. Obviously, you don't have the visual or the audio, but if there's an image on the blog post, that image has been selected for a reason normally. Um, the location of it is put there for a reason normally. The typography changes the way that you perceive the information. The spaces between words, the spaces between paragraphs, the theme you have in your whatever it, whatever platform it is and even on twitter where you're restricted by all of that and it's just the words the copy obviously has a style so you're still manipulating the reader with your copy so yeah i mean that is a good point <laughs> so <laughs> let me let me rephrase my like reformulate what i'm saying and in, in yeah. to what well, i want to avoid the very I think it, it is the Mr. Beast style, but in text of like, you're going to suffer if you don't sign up for this chat GPT, like the excessive, like, hey, you aren't good enough if you don't work in this way kind of language that is often used in the business world of like, hey, this is a failure of you if you do this. So it's like that to me is ethically wrong, right? My stuff is great. I think you would gain a lot of benefit from the stuff that I produce. But I'm not going to tell you that it's the only way to work. I'm not going to tell you that it's the best solution in the world because it doesn't make sense. It's the best solution for you if this is your context that you're in. And so being more upfront and honest from like my own personal philosophy of how I market, how I talk and how I communicate is what's important to me. Um does that kind of clarify? Yes, I'm trying to avoid going into my research field because then it won't be a fair conversation. <laughs> um, because... Yeah, I'd be screwed. It, well, the... I, I'm in, like I'm interested to hear your thoughts because I've like a lot of what I've learned is from other people who have taught me how to think about marketing. So if you want to share some of your research, I think I'm quite interested in hearing it because, duh, I would be. <laughs> This is this is research for the fake news video. Mm, I'm I'm interested. Yeah. I thought as much. Yeah, because it's so. Without war, I've I've got like, so my Zotero folder collection has eighty two references for a fifteen minute video, um, and like some of those references are two hundred page books. <laughs> so there's a nice. lot of work and there's a lot of writing, uh, and there are loads of references I haven't bothered to follow through on because I feel like I've got a got to a point of synthesis, but essentially. When you say that um, you don't want to be sensationalistic inside your headlines, what you're saying to me 
is you don't want to produce a perception of what the article could be and then the individual consume said content and not get what they thought it was going to be yeah that sounds about right the question then becomes how can you monitor change manipulate adapt someone's perception of a headline (laughs) (laughs) precisely so it's it's a world where the headline, you can't really control how someone perceives the headline. You can only control what they get from reading the content. And Mr. Beast is a very, very clever person. And I want to do a video about the, the psychology behind the stuff he talks about because that'd be cool. Like he doesn't know what the terms are called or what the words are, but all the stuff he talks about are backed up by science and behavioral analysis. Uh, and one of the biggest things he says is if they don't click, they don't consume, which from his perspective, that's they don't watch the video. But from an educator's perspective, that's they don't experience the potential learning opportunity. If you don't go to school, you don't learn whatever's in the lesson. And school packaged is awful. That's why the law says you have to go. (laughs) Yeah. And online content, you don't have to consume it. So there needs to be. Yeah. I, I had a side note when you were talking about school as packages where you're forced to go. And a side note, a, a thing with my little boy. I mean, he started playing with it too because I was showing him ChatGPT and he was there like, oh, can I ask you? Yeah, go and ask it a question. Now, my, my son is naturally incredibly inquisitive on everything. Has which... it been chopped into a, a, a block? Exactly. Yet? <laughs> exactly. And he was there like, I hate. And he said one time to me, I hate learning. And I went, Oh, 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 no, you don't, my little boy. No, you don't. And so I was like, okay, so if you hate learning, should I take your dot outside of your out of your room? No, I like the dot, but you don't don't you ask questions to your dot to find out things? Yes. Well, isn't that learning? He said like, Hmm. <laughs> and, and parent pisses off child. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he loves it when I make him think. It's exactly like <laughs> hmm. Okay. And and I was like, yeah, what you do at school, I'm gonna be honest, mate, isn't really learning. It gives you stuff and tells you how to behave and work in a certain way, but it's it's not it's not the full capacity of what learning is. It's not everything that learning is about. Obviously, trying to keep it as simple as yes. possible. For yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know your brain was like, oh yeah, but this, 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 this. And I'm like, I must keep this kiddie kid style friendly. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah, my my immediate reaction is learning isn't the accurate word to use there because you are learning at school. Everyone's learning at school because obviously it's experiences. So I I would change the way I would word that and say the education that you get at school may not suit the education for you. <laughs> that, that's yeah, how I would that write. Yeah. yeah, that's how I would personally phrase it. But yeah, I, I completely agree. Education at school is... Blech. Um, and, and also that is not because of the teachers either, half the time. The teachers know it doesn't. Oh, like 80% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. I again, that's another video where I'm like, I wanna go, but have you really like like 180 degree side tangent here? Hank Green, have you seen what he's doing with his um online school certification thing? No, I haven't. So 
a, a, like bullet point where we are. <laughs> I won't. I'll <laughs> yeah, try. Yeah. Basically, what he's done um, is he's made his own high school slash college course, sort of using videos on YouTube. And Isn't be- that crash course? Yes. So he's used Crash Course and the stuff Complexity do, his business, his company and all the other stuff. Um, But he's created a way for students to go in, learn content, and then if they want to pay for a, I think it's a college in America, to make it an, an official educational certificate. So essentially, he's using YouTube videos as a course as a, an actual formal educational course with, nice. with a curriculum and feedback and stuff. I need to dive in deep, but I was like, okay, I've seen this like three times now. I really need to dive deep in this, but I'm, I'm in a, a video research already. I, this is a problem with liking to research stuff. You're like, I want to do everything at once and it's not possible. I, that is where, that is where I'm at. I, like, I started diving into one thing. I'm like, Oh, I want to look at that. And that is intriguing. I'll go peek at that. And then I come back again. I'm, I often jump between too many things and then I get confused and then they all connect together and I'm like, oh, cool. Yep, yep. Um, but anyway, diving back to the Mr. Beast scenario uh, with, with psychology and everything that he does, um, if you don't consume the content, obviously you're not going to learn from it. So the clickbait, which I, I'm putting in in speech commas because, well, speech marks because clickbait is an extremely multifaceted term. Yeah. So a, a lot of people have it as a negative term, but click bait is bait for you to click. And when you put bait on a rod, like fishing rod, that's good because you want a fish and you're not going to get a fish without some sort of bait. And you're not going to get a click without some sort of bait. And the bait needs to be something that in research it's called uh, forward referencing, right? That's the term used, and it's used to create a curiosity gap. Basically, Mm. you want to preface what's going on in the piece of content and make someone go, oh, I want to know what's happening, or, oh, that's interesting, let me know. Like, I I want to know what's going on sort of thing, which means you need to make something fairly abbreviated that creates curiosity. And mm-hmm. the easiest way to create curiosity is by sensationalizing whatever it is you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Is this the best X? I don't know. And and that's where you're like, mm, I'm not sure on that. I'll go click. So the perception of, oh, this is the best. You, you can't avoid that. A human is going to go, oh, yeah, that's the best thing ever. Even though that's not what was actually said. It was actually mm. a question that was said. Um, so from a disinformation misinformation perspective the headline could be misinformation but i don't think this is using um claire warden (laughs) i'm like what was the book um this is using her definitions terms for information it's misinformation in the title because it's not entirely accurate but it's not malinformation i.e harmful because it's not telling you something it's exposing you to an opinion, but an opinion is not harmful unless you perceive it as something that could be harmful. Where it becomes maladaptive information is when the content is saying the earth is flat because blah, 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 blah. Okay, that's mal that's malinformation because it's not actually helpful. So the title can be clickbaity and sensationalistic. 
it's malinformation. Uh, it's misinformation because it's not mm-hmm. technically true, but you can't be true in whatever yeah, however in many characters you've got. 80 characters or something. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. And, and I that's think my that, perception on that. So the I think what you what yeah. you grab there for me, just from in my head and what was going through my head as you were talking, was like it's that there's got to be a win for the person consuming the content too. It's not just about come buy my stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it's come buy my stuff. And even if you don't, you will benefit from what I've said. You will either learn something about me or you'll learn some concepts that I have and ideas. Like even if you don't buy my, I want it to be a win for me and a win for you, no matter what happens. I think that that when I say I want it to be, you know, ethical and all of the language I use, it needs to be a win or a potential win for both myself and the other person. And this is where I think it's interesting. We can bring AI into this in a second um, because the content, therefore, needs to be valuable, however you perceive valuable. Obviously, that's a, a big topic. And that's a whole nother bloody topic we could go into. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Got um, research on that too? <laughs> uh, I do, actually. Have research on that. Of course I do. But, oh, um but the the, there next. <laughs> the actual content itself needs to be, as we've sort of said, tactically used. If yeah. someone wants to know everything that you're doing, your entire process, then document your entire process. I video record it, but that's mm. not going to be valuable to other people. Yeah. And what Mr. Beast does with his content with looking at audience retention is what is the most valuable to the most amount of people and the yeah. most amount of people in the world that watch YouTube are younger boys, just general demographic. There are a lot of females in there as well. I think it's like 40% of his audience is female. So there's a lot of them as well, but he's directed at, or to start with at younger boys. So he's like, okay, how do I make this piece of content valuable to the widest demographic? Now, Mm -hmm. most businesses don't want millions of people looking at their stuff because it's not, it's, it's not applicable because there are too many nuances, too many people in there to actually direct them at a place that they can help. Like the coach can't be like, hey, I'm going to help every single person. Like we spoke about last week off, uh, actually it might have been the week before uh, afterwards. It's about finding a context for the business, for yeah. the coach, for the product, for whatever. So the, the piece of content therefore needs to show value to the coaching context or the context of the business that they want, which requires manipulation of how do you edit, what do you include, where do you cut, what do you say, what words you choose, et cetera, et cetera. Um, which makes online content essentially educational content. That, that's the way I see it. It's, it's all in educational science. It's all in information um, communication. And the way you communicate information is going to change how people perceive that content. And if you do one piece of content that's really good, really informational, and the next one's rubbish, your perception on the person as a content creator, and he goes, hmm, I'm not sure. But if you do two or three, they're like, this is really helpful. This is really helpful. This is really helpful. That's three points of contact going on the business side. But they're like, this, this person is really helpful. I'm going to follow this. And that is a manipulation of the content to find a consumer. Is that bad manipulation? Mm. Ethical and moral values, you can argue backwards and forwards. I would say no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I would say no too. Because I think you're helping the student learn something they didn't know they needed to learn or they didn't need to learn, wanted to learn, could have learned. 
add whatever word in there for your subjective preferences. Yeah, I mean, in the business world, there is so much binary argue. I mean, in life, there are so many binary arguments that are happening around what's ethical, what's moral, what's this, what's it's that. It's easier to be binary. And, and, and yeah, it is easier to be binary rather than what we're doing here, where we're actually having conversations about the... Multifaceted. The multifaceted conversation. I was about to say that. Thank you very much. The multifaceted <laughs> conversations that we have here are much more interesting and much more beneficial to the more people, I suppose, people who are actually wanting to not be at the binary ends of everything. Everyone naturally is multifaceted in their approach to information. It is it's natural. Everyone is like, yeah, but this, yeah, but that. Everyone has a disagreement point. Everyone will disagree with something in some way because there is a, an experience they've had, a past knowledge they've got that they're going to be like, no, I disagree. And I argue with this. Yeah. But on the news, they summarize information, which has limitations, obviously, because you need to simplify some of the information shared, which isn't good. Feynman technique, throw it in the trash. <laughs> um, and when you simplify stuff, you... <laughs> I, I just realized what my Feynman technique is. It is Maslow's pyramid. Like, yes. Like uh, but yeah, so when you, when you summarize that information, you're going to inevitably add binaries. Yeah. Because a summary is going to be, I agree with this or I don't agree with this. Now, once you're in the binaries, then you get the conversations. And that's where the whole like arguments and politics actually happen. But the majority of people don't know the nuances. They just go, I agree with that. I disagree with that. I'm on that side. I'm on that side. Let's fight. And most of them don't really know what they're fighting over because they don't know the nuances and they don't know the arguments between the two. And I like to avoid politics, but that's one of the reasons I struggle with like voting or anything like that is because I don't understand the nuances of politicians. I don't understand economics. I have no idea what's going on. So I can't pick a side with economics because I don't know what I would do in that situation. So I I vote on the things that I actually understand the information behind. Which a lot of people there's a really there's a really cool game actually which excuse me I've played which is called Democracy. Um, Democracy 4 I think is the latest one is where you are actually put in that position where you have to make the decisions and it's it's really interesting like how you play it, it's a simulation game and obviously it has bias as does everything but it's interesting how to actually live that experience of like well in a game, obviously not in real life but what the choices you make influence different people and everything and it it really helped me to be like okay cool this guy doesn't align with my own beliefs but i get what they're trying to do because it's nowhere near as simple as just do what you really want because you can't just do what you want otherwise the economy completely tanks and we're all screwed it's <laughs> i think it's funny how people have the same goal they have the same end goal most of the time Mm. But how they get there is like poles apart in some situations. Mm. But the narrative that each side spin on the goal is what people argue about, is what people really vote mm. on. And that's obviously the, the then the headline, the clickbait, the whatever. So how they market their point of view is 
more telling. I, I would class it as misinformation because they're not telling the whole truth most of the time, especially politicians. <laughs> um, either side, like I'm, I'm not picking a side here. Both sides are just as vague as one another. Um, and when they specify whatever the clickbait title is, a lot of the time they mold it to the perception of in this case, like the country at the time, but a content creator, they mold it to the shape of social media at the time. Like you can see people bucking on trends or this is really good. Let's do that. That's really good. Let's do that. But they don't understand the nuances. A perfect mm. example of this, which <laughs> I found out in my um, videos for the, my research for the fake news video is TikTok. People were doing the TikTok challenges and it was social. It was on social news and they started doing it. And like, oh yeah, this is fun. This is fun. Um, but people got like fatally hurt by some of the TikTok challenges. Because they're doing it not knowing all the nuances about the challenge. What if this happens? What if that happens? And you're like, okay. So the headline was misleading because it's not <laughs> the best or not fun or not this, that, and the other. Actually, it's life-threatening in some cases. And then you also have <clears throat> some of the TikTok challenges which never actually existed. So the Tide Pod challenge is one of those. That was never a thing, but was turned into a thing. And then you have things like, um, I think it's Bendy or Blendy or something on YouTube. Mm. It's like this terrible, horrifying thing that's showing up in YouTube kids. Mm. No. <laughs> no, it's because you're looking it up. <laughs> yes. That's appearing. Yes. And it, it, it's interesting how that like. And that right there is why I think AI is extremely dangerous for content. Because what AI does is looks online and looks at the connections between words and terms, right? Yeah. And then surfaces whatever that is. So it can surface something that doesn't exist, but AI doesn't know it doesn't exist. And people yeah. using AI aren't doing research because they're using AI to do their research, which means they could be sharing false information. And I'm yes. not going to get into it, but does sharing in, does sharing false information mean the same? Like, are you as liable as or liable for the person that actually shared it in the first place? Because someone that didn't see the original post, but saw your post is now exposed to false information because of you, not because of the person that originally did it, but because of your share. And mm -hmm. if AI is generating that and you're using AI's questions or AI's thoughts or comments for that, then you are potentially liable for that information. Yeah, I think that for me is also something I'm being very careful and cautious of, because especially if you look at productivity advice and you use and I played with that inside of um, chat GPT and asked for productivity advice and you can see where it comes from. <laughs> the Internet. You can see it comes from the Internet because it's the same information over and over again. And I'm enjoying going, yeah, but this doesn't work for me. Like, for example, how do you prioritize your tasks? Oh, the Eisenhower made. Well, that doesn't bloody work for me. So then what? And then it spouts out other things. It even told me to do the Eisenhower matrix again. And I'm like, this doesn't work for me. What can I do instead? Like, what alternatives to this matrix do, could I use? And it's now added in some of the self-helpy stuff of, like, make sure you get rest. And well, what type of, like, it still lacks nuance, <clears throat> which I think is still incredibly important to be aware of and the way that i share my prompts and the prompts that i create are not about writing content for me or doing things for me it is to prompt me to think and is to 
give me something to work from, which then I use my own humanness to go, huh, does that actually make sense here? I think we were speaking about this last week. I think the week before. I think what's interesting to me is AI does a good job at some things, a really bad job at other things, um, yeah. but it still requires human expertise. Linus Tech Tips yes. built a PC with AI, but if Linus didn't know how to build a PC, he would have like broken a, yeah, he would have broken a couple of things and he wouldn't have got it working and he would have got frustrated. He needed expertise to get it working. Yes, it, it, he got a PC, but he had to do a lot of research himself. He had to learn a lot of stuff himself. And it's the same with most like code. Oh, AI can make a code, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you still need to know some of the nuances that yeah. the AI misses out. And I've actually been doing that myself. I've been I've been learning how to code uh, in Python to make my own AI apps because I find the idea interesting and I've got a direction, which is always I've struggled with with coding as I don't know which way I'm going. So I'm using a YouTube video, which is teaching me how to use that and implementing it with OpenAI and stuff. But I ask questions of OpenAI and it doesn't always get it right. But I'm fortunate because I know the questions to ask. So I send a piece of code. What does this mean? What does that mean? It's very good at telling me what that is. It's some of the things that I really love about ChatGPT. Well, what's this? Like break this. What the bloody hell does does um def and this mean? It's it's a function. Okay, so this is the function. Okay, I'm having trouble with this function. What what's wrong? Is this the most effective use of this function? How can I make it better? Why is this better? Because it gives me something to play off of, and then I can actually learn things myself and then start playing with it and i actually played around with going okay this is something that i've just learned to use this is what i've learned i it was a uh, how to use python to open a file read what's inside of the file and then learn how to overwrite it and i learned that from a youtube video and i'm like okay cool but i want to be able to save and uh, ask if it overwrites the file and if it does, do it something different. And so I tried that. I asked it what it would look like. It gave me a suggestion that it didn't bloody work, which is fine. And so I'm like, okay, this isn't working. This is the error. What could it be? Oh, these are the things it could possibly be. Okay, cool. Right. I still don't understand. What is this? What is what does this line do? What does that line do? What does this line do? What does that line do? So that it breaks it down, which for code, I think is really valuable. And also, I'm going to just do a quick Google if I'm not sure. If if it's still not working, I will Google. And eventually, as I'm kind of, and I suppose code that, is that very could be much a Bing in in uh, the next couple of years. What's that? That that could be Bing in the next couple of years. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. But yeah, I, I think I think that's the that's the use for AI that I see like really beneficial at the moment. I because of the really complex nature of human subjectivity, I don't see AI being able to give trustworthy <laughs> answers to those questions as soon as you no. add any philosophical element to an ai question it's going to be biased just like yeah. humans and it's going to have the same issues the same struggles you may get a general consensus but it's important like any sort of philosophical information that you consume to really challenge it and critique it which that's that's where i think ai can because of the bots, like you add bots with AI, oh, internet's going to be painful uh, to, to try and navigate. But I think AI is making a problem that we have already 
communication online a bigger problem. Like it doesn't solve any issues. It solves issues that we never had. Like, oh, you can now find answers to the questions quicker. Like instead of Googling it and searching a couple of things, you can now AI search it. And if it doesn't give you, then ask it more questions. Instead of scrolling down links, you're now asking more questions. So it's kind of changed the learning, like learning yeah. modality, I guess you could say. But it hasn't solved the issue of the <laughs> information disorder, as Claire calls it, which is just information being spouted online all the time. And if anything, yeah. it's actually made it harder because now you have AI and bots putting out potentially false information, malinformation, misinformation, disinformation online, which we've already got enough of anyway, for people to try and navigate through. Yeah, it's it's complicated. It's difficult. And I think this is where schools have to. I'm not saying should. I'm not saying this is a suggestion. I'm saying no, they, they have, have to, in some way, teach students how to navigate that. Digital navigation. It's a crash course on um crash course where I think it was, <laughs> I think it's John Green goes through um digital navigation and how to try and spot false information, what to do with things. I think it's like a 15 video thing. It's really good. There are some limitations in it, but I mean it was a video course made like six, seven years ago now. But I think that should be in formal education, in all schools, in public schools, in private schools, because everyone is online, everyone is learning i put in quote marks that everyone's consuming information all the time online and there needs to be a way for people to learn how to navigate that did you know you can back search an image to see if it's been created from something else oh no i didn't know you could do that well you can and you should did you know that this is how you source things these sources don't exist this is how you can look back at previous versions of websites to see if it's been changed like those sorts of things are important, especially mm. when you're trying to fact check information. And fact checking is literally a job in itself. <laughs> so you're never going to get it right. But if students don't know how to do the basic level of how to source check, you're going to get more things like the flat earth going around. Flat earth wasn't really a thing until social media became a thing and the internet became a thing and people started talking about it. And then they just justify their own opinions without looking at other sources or really challenging what it is that they know. And that's because, in my opinion, school doesn't help with it. But school is also struggling because of multiple other reasons. Yeah. <laughs> like Nothing yeah. is as simple as it seems. And I, and I think that I can... I don't fully agree with your... I, I do agree, and I also do not agree with your chat GPT, kind of, like, how AI is not helpful. I don't I think, think it's it not has... helpful. I think it is. But I think... It's it's helpful and harmful at the same time. And yes, and you've me... got to know it, it is it is a tool. It is a hammer. You can use that hammer to smash someone in the face or build a house for someone who doesn't have a home to live in. But what you need is the expertise to do that. And I think that that is my kind of my direction I'm taking when I talk about ChatGPT. It's education of like, hey, there are some really weird stuff that's happening with ChatGPT of like, oh, write me an article about this. And I'm like, mm. my my biggest caveat with using ChatGPT is if you use it, make sure you have a base level of understanding on what it is that you're researching mm. or 
go further than just chat uh, um chat gpt if you've asked it a question it's given you an answer probe it actually critically think about the answer it's given and unfortunately the majority of people can't do that <laughs> because they haven't been taught to crit- critically think because this the educational system in the majority of countries just food feeds you answers because it needs you to pass because otherwise it's going to go bankrupt <laughs> it's the way the yes, school system works. GPT, how to critically think yeah and then in the process go through it people know how to critically think about topics they're interested in like minecrafters how do i solve this problem i need to find out how yeah. to do this and then they go forwards and find out whatever it is and the same with gamers and when people are troubleshooting a problem at home like oh, how does the boiler work i'm gonna look online see if there's a video for the boiler oh there is oh but how does this bit work i'm gonna look at the help documentation except that's critical thinking but the problem is when they don't have an obvious okay this is where i need to critically think so ai the the chatbot could be the this is where you start but if they finish with just the one or two answers that's the to me the issue um, yeah and i think that's the and what's happening right now in the chat gpt space in the non let's go deep into chat gpt let's go crazy and really dive into it and learn how to prompt hack and make prompts more specific and more nuanced it's just yeah more tangible that's what's happening in the business world right now and i'm like no 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 i'm just like this is this yes the tool sucks using it like that absolutely the tool sucks it is not good it's gonna sound like crap it's gonna work like crap please don't use it like that flip that use it like this Use it this way. This is why. This is how. This is what you need to consider. These are the questions you need to ask. Think like what I'm actually creating with my kind of subscription, virtual subscription box. I'm playing around with the idea of like, I give you a prompt. I break the prompt right down into its individual components and go, this is what this is doing. This is what this is asking. This is what that is asking. This is what this is asking. This is how it works. This is why it works. And actually talking about it for what huh? you said breaking stuff down for what are you talking like uh breaking the prompt or? down as in breaking the prompt itself so i provide a prompt for people to try i then give them a kind of fill in the blanks of like replace it with these things replace it with that thing replace it with this thing for yourself this is your context you need to add in and i describe why the prompt works and how the prompt works to kind of expand the knowledge while also teaching them the concepts and the names of things like what is a what the hell is an actual prompt what is a prompt oh, okay like yeah maybe now i thought yeah. i thought you meant like add like someone adding in a prompt and you explaining everything about the like the whatever the um answer is and i was like that's that's trying to teach like everything at once <laughs> yeah no 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 it is like here's yeah. how you write a better prompt that fits your unique context right. like prompt creation like education yeah, so like, about prompt creation yeah education about prompt creation oh i love that that's kind of education about prompt creation okay john <laughs> moments i can have fun yeah and that is it's education about prompt creation I'm curious then, obviously you've been in the AI space more than me um, because I personally don't find much of a use in it because of where I'm at with my research. Yep. Um, 
have you tried any DAO stuff inside of Obsidian? There are loads of plugins now, loads of them with like GUIs and what looks like really cool interfaces. But whenever I try to use ChatGPT, it says, sorry, we're busy right now. Try another time. <laughs> um, It's fine. I haven't really used it inside of there because I'm not... What I'm using ChatGPT for and what I'm using ChatAI in general, like GPT-3 in general for, is more of a like a learn i suppose it's a learning environment for me to play within to learn new skills it's like coding you know like and and generating new ideas i'm playing spoilers for anyone who is actually listening to this in the business perspective like there is a few now actually um what i'm playing with with the chat gpt playground which is what i've called it is a way of being able to teach technology in a way that is more i suppose critically designed to be like hey this is a tool this is how you use the tool and also this is why and it's about teaching specific something that you gave me great feedback on with some of my stuff that we were talking about of like specificity everything is it depends but where the expertise is is when you take it and put it into contexts and you actually give that context and then you explain how it works and something that i'm playing with as this first thing is like a nine dollar really cheap i'm not gonna earn money on this one <laughs> it's not a money earner for me it's a i'm gonna try a concept that i think is really cool because i have so much freaking knowledge about tech and how it works and then i have a little bit of that critical thinking and the stuff that i obsessively research and so i want to bring the two together and my and my playground that i'm playing is in, in is in chat gpt because quite frankly it's popular so more people are going to try it out which i realize is a manipulation which is fine i'm all right with that um <laughs> but it also allows people to start thinking critically about the tech that they use and the tools that they use in their unique contexts and having a a conversation on how to use that. And I want to be able to do that with lots of apps and lots of tools because that I think is where tech, like in the business world specifically, is is failing miserably. It's it's just so like, use this platform because I said so. And I'm like, but why? But 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 why? This this is kind of like a, a sideways question, but we'll we'll come back. When it comes to working in Obsidian collaboratively, mm-hmm. yeah. What I'm thinking is I want to test out being able to use Obsidian as a collaborative tool with collaborative sync, right? Um I've I've tested it with a couple of people here and there. Um what are your thoughts on doing a I don't know what it would be, whether it's a, a video, an essay, a piece of content, whatever, on AI in Obsidian. Um, because that way I can I can test out my collaborative sync stuff and do some research on AI and, uh, because obviously you'd be in there uh, working through AI. And then afterwards, see what ChatGPT says about the stuff that we've come up with. So like finds like... I, I maybe um, we do something like how is how could AI be used in education? Because that's what we've spoken about today. And then we look at elements of AI in education and technology in education in the past, in the future, um, and we can come up with a piece of content using human brains, human knowledge, <laughs> um, and collaborate together in Obsidian. So we've got that practice for me. Yes, I'm selfish. 
Uh, <laughs> do you know that? Aren't we all? Yeah. Uh, but then with that, whatever the produced piece of content is, the produced article, um, we can ask ChatGPT about it and see what it says. Mm, that'd be fun. I'd enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, 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 I want to do some collaborative work because I've seen a few people, a few creators that are moving away from Notion. Um, they're moving away from Notion to things like Asana, yeah. ClickUp, Monday.com uh, and other apps like that. Uh, and as as much as I don't think Obsidian is a project management application, it could be. Um, and I'm not saying it should be. I'm saying it could be. There's a difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. I completely agree with that. It could be. And it is for me. Like, I I cannot. I just love the freedom. And this is also, like, like, selfishly, this is why I'm exploring with this new product idea. Because I want to do that for Obsidian. I don't want to create a massive long course because I don't think it would be very beneficial. It needs to be context specific bite-sized and yummy like it needs to be a very driven like hey here's the thing you can try here's why here's why it works here's why it doesn't work here's why it doesn't work and like just giving people agency with their tech like that is what i'm excited about. agency with their tech and their systems because hey here's asana this does these things super simply for you however <laughs> do, you, do you want a unicorn flying across the screen <laughs> Yeah, we. I think to me, like all the all the friction points that people come up with uh, for Notion, for ClickUp, for Asana, etc., etc., etc. Most of them come down to an element of the box-like nature, mm, which is why like, Obsidian is nuts. Yeah, um, and I think to me the biggest issue Obsidian would have is sync because everything else works perfectly fine. I, I apart from uh, obviously watch last week's episode where we actually critique Obsidian for the first time ever. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, but I think <laughs> come on, that, uh, you were about to go. Yeah, we don't do that. No, we do. Yeah, I think that's the same as Notion though. Like there are so many businesses that have gone to Notion and been like, oh yeah, we can use Notion for our project management, team management, etc. Insert whatever. We need a Notion consultant to help with this thing, or I need someone to learn how to use Notion for blah. Um, and I think it's the same for most applications. Like most teams have a person on the team that knows the tool better than anyone else because they become interested in it. And from watching other creators, like I know MKBHD uses Asana as a team tool, but has been using TickTick as a personal tool and he's moved to his moves around. But he uses Asana because his team member used Asana in their business and they just brought it in because they used it. It's not yeah, that's it's the very best much... app. It's we yeah. know how to use it. It, it's less about what is the best solution for me and more about what's the solution that people know most about, which is the bit that I find really hard. And what and in the business space, that's all I see. That is exactly because it's easier. Obviously, we don't have to think that if we don't have to think, let's make it so we don't have to think. However, obsidian <laughs> like this is and I think I made a tweet about this as well of like, I don't need to leave obsidian like I have no desire to leave Obsidian because if I like a feature that someone has created in another tool, chances are I can replicate it in Obsidian or I don't need it. 
because what I've got in Obsidian is exactly specifically designed for me. And I am not talking about this as someone who is obsessed with a certain platform. I, I, I couldn't care less what it is. I just like the fact that I don't have to think about what it is. And I can just become sorry. And I, I think it is very much like the power of Obsidian is the fact that it, it, the boundaries are, are, incredibly low even if you're not a developer even if you don't know all of the features even if like all of those things that block tools like asana and ClickUp and notion know all the features yeah well you can't know all the features of obsidian that's the damn point and you don't need to know all the features whereas with tools like notion and ClickUp and asana and money.com if you don't know the features you don't use the tool as such um, whereas with Obsidian, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know enough and you just need to start using it. And the moment you start using it, you're like, oh, I can just do this now. Oh, I can just do this now. Like I've added a new um, what is it, quadrant feel, to my projects. Feel free to uh, share screen, remember. Oh, yeah. I don't have Obsidian open right now. Um, oh. I've added a new quadrant to uh, my project thing which you can see i think two episodes ago um which is um around uh content i think it is i actually don't remember now i don't have to think about it which is what i love i'm like it's just there i know it's there it works yeah good good uh, i've added a new quadrant which is uh research that's it because i've started doing some research and things that i want to research and Pause i need for to... a sec you just brought yeah. up obsidian and you didn't share it sorry <laughs> You're the one that told yeah. me. Come on, we we need to share our stuff. <laughs> um, so for those I, listening, YouTube. Sorry, guys. Uh, yeah, so on the top here, I had general projects, client, and content originally. Um, I've now added in research, which is like stuff that I really want to think about. And it's basically using your process again, Danny. But, you know, it's because <laughs> And it works. And it makes sense. And it's easy, which I like. And so I've started putting in research stuff because for me, I need to capture things. I will forget what I'm doing if I do not capture things. And so for people who are new, who have kind of only watched this episode, I have kind of the the type of project along the uh, horizontal, yeah, horizontal axis. So it's the general, the client, the content and the research. And then here I have not started in progress, done and waiting. I am probably going to adapt this more and probably split things out soon i don't know yet but i'm i am satisfied with it here but i think i want more granularity um but i'm yeah this goes to what i said a minute ago that i interrupted you with unfortunately um my default answer now for most things is for for obsidian anyway there's a plugin that does that it's like the obsidian answer and that is the bloody thing it's like (laughs) there's there's a a plugin for that there's a plugin for that. I don't need to think about that. There's a plugin. There's a plugin. It's there. It's there. I've got a plugin. I can do that. I can do that. And I mean, this openness, like, I mean, Canva, Canvas, sorry, not Canva. Canvas has basically killed any other productivity tool for me, personally, because it. my brain is a messy, messy, messy mess, which is kind of everyone's brain, actually, if you think about it. But my brain is a messy mess. And... I can be messy and I can also be incredibly organized and it's not one or the other. I don't have to make a decision. That is it. I don't have to choose. 
I can be as structured as I want and I can be as unstructured as I want in the same damn tool, which means I get the benefits of a single source of truth or one place to go. And I can be as organized and as structured and I can just brain dump and just chuck shit on a page and it doesn't matter because I'll always find it. I'll always know what I need. I can always figure it out. And it's as simple as just going open and typing it in. Oh, look, this is things I've been looking at. Ha <laughs> ha, cool, easy. Thank you. This is this is what's interesting to me, right? Uh, I'm going to use Sarah Dietschy as an example because I know for a fact she likes um, open tools. She uses OneNote as a note taker. She's used MyLanote as a one take as a as a note taker she's tried to do like task management ish in those notes and on whiteboards on her table and on post-it notes i watch her videos a lot which is why i know this um and she's a very sporadic person but she manages her team in notion and it took her a while to get notion the way she wanted she was like well, i don't want all these relations i don't want the roll-ups and formulas but i want everyone to see this and i, I want to know that and i've tried using you and don't have a choice exactly you you need to use some of the features in there whereas in obsidian with the canvas the canvas has literally gone hey you know that project management bs that you have to deal with in these table-like um, things, you, you forget that. And with metadata menu and the ability to use groups to change data, I mean, like, oh, I love metadata menu. Oh, it just makes me excited every time I think about, oh, I can do that, oh, I can do that. It, just the potential and the fact that it is... Oh. Right. So, Jeff Sue. Jeff Sue is a productivity person inside a business they talk about applications and tools on youtube fairly large channel 300k subs something like that um and i've watched their videos for a while they use thomas frank's task database thing inside of notion for their stuff because of recurring tasks obviously pain in the ass um projects and other things and i was looking at his notion and i was like that's painful i commented we got into a conversation we had a quick discussion and what i've done is recreated his notion template inside of obsidian and it's extremely painful because i tried to recreate what he's got and i'm like this could be so much easier this could be so much easier but i've just recreated what he's done and his template when i looked at the notion database like i knew there are a few properties but when i opened it i was like damn oh i saw your tweet i'm like wow notion has a lot of properties yeah i, I was like got, i'm like yep <laughs> Yeah. I've never looked at Thomas Frank's recurring task thingy because I assumed it was like mine. It's not like mine. It uses like six formulas instead of one, which why I don't know. Yeah. He's got like different timestamps for things um, instead of storing it in the formula. Mm, whatever. Um, yeah. It's a, different, it's a different way of programming. But yeah, so he's got like five formula properties, four roll-up properties, three relation properties, and then like uh, a select property, a date property, a created, an edited. And I'm like, I'm going to just make a task, put an emoji on it and say tomorrow. <laughs> like, task plugin, thank you. Yeah. Oh, um, and I think what I want to try and do, I mean, this is like an insider of what I want to do moving forwards, is just create. Notion space is inside of Obsidian. Because it's... And then we, I mean, even if we just have the time to get excited now, so I'm just going to keep interrupting you for a change. From that. Um, and what I think is really cool is it's also local. Yes. I'm just, just, I was out uh, last night. I actually have a social life. 
Shocking. Hold, hold the phone. I know, right? That's an episode. Um, I had a social and someone was like, oh, I, I'm I'm kind of getting into TTRPGs, so tabletop art role-playing games. Um, and someone was mentioning um a TTRPG which I'd never heard of before. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I have no internet down there because it was downstairs and it was dark, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, so whatever. Um, and I'm like, oh, I need to add this. I need to I need to get it out of my head and try it down. I pressed Obsidian, pressed the button. Added the name, look it up later, opened my obsidian today, and it's there because it's local only. And I don't have to think about it. Thank you very much. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, that... I do the same. When I'm so a lot of the time when I'm uh so football, for example, which I have today, um, that's why I keep looking at the time. He's <laughs> uh, just bored. <laughs> yeah. Football's obviously on a field, and sometimes we're on fields where I have to use my data. And sorry, I don't want to use my data every time I go football, so I don't have to because of Sidian. And when when I need to write something down, football is a starred file, so I open Obsidian, I swipe right, I push football, I because I have used an outline, I swipe from right to left, uh, and then go to whatever heading in the file and it jumps me down and then I type it. it it's literally obsidian on my phone. It's kind of the point and everything's there. And for like, for meetings, for committee meetings, for managing the money, for managing anything that's happened on the day, people are like, how do you remember that? I'm like, I don't, <laughs> it's on my phone. I just love that everyone's obsessed with trying to make their memory better. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why? Tools can do it for us. Let's let them get on with it. They can do that. I just have to know to open it. Oh, but what if your internet's done? It doesn't matter. Obsidian is local storage. Thank you very much. That that is something amusing. When I was talking with Jeff, um, he was saying that uh, he doesn't understand like Obsidian's selling point. I was like, it's local. It's like, what, what does that mean? I was like, well, all your files are on your device. So if Obsidian goes down, which it can't do, you don't lose it. Uh, if Obsidian slows down, which it can't do, <laughs> it doesn't affect your files. Like Notion have control over your files at the moment. Obsidian never has control over your Everybody files. Everybody talks about the security thing. Like, frankly, I'm on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can only do so much. And yes, I do value my privacy, etc. Blah, 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 blah. But that's not the reason I like local storage for Obsidian. It is purely and simply for the fact that no matter where I am, as long as I have this thing, my phone, I can put something in my Obsidian and not have to try and wait for things to load or make sure I've got internet or make sure this is connected or that's going to, and all of that nonsense. And then when you do have internet, Stephen's <laughs> see from yeah, you can just stand in a corner and be like, oh, what was I looking at? Oh, yeah, I was researching that thing. Oh, oh, I didn't realize I'd link that. And then you go down your own rabbit hole because you've got everything on your phone. And then people are like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm looking at the research I did like three years ago because uh, I can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. Anyway, we we had to be mean about Obsidian for one episode so we can just continue to love it. And, yes. and I think that's like... I, I think the canvas has... I mean, the canvas is a, an app in itself. I know on Product Hunt, it's being voted for uh, for uh, whatever it is, star thing, um, which is great. I'm not really that interested on Product Hunt, to be honest. Uh, but the, the canvas plugin in Obsidian is its own app. Like, yeah. I think it challenges like the mind mapping apps 
just as a, a thing by itself, like forgetting everything else Obsidian can do. Um, I saw Xiaomi do a video about Scrintle. Yeah, Scrintle 2.0. Oh, yeah, I've seen a bit of that. Yeah. And yeah. I was looking at it and I, I commented and I was like, all I was all I was seeing was Obsidian can do that, Obsidian can do that, Obsidian can do that, Obsidian can do that. <laughs> With every has, it, have, has Obsidian added shapes into Canva yet? No. No, I, I think I think they're working on the metadata uh, update stuff. Yeah. I have a suspicion um, from conversations on Discord that it's essentially a GUI for metadata. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. Now, I don't know what that's going to look like, but if there's a GUI added for metadata information, that could be mimicking what metadata menu does. Because metadata, essentially, you click it and then you edit the metadata of a file. And if Obsidian does something like that native, where inside the menu of a file, you can right click on the file for the context menu and say, edit metadata or update metadata, then it's then it's core. Cool. Then you don't need metadata menu. But metadata menu would still have other functions like Default. Yeah, yeah, the just, grouping I stuff. It. and I love it. I love it. I can't wait. Just the Obsidian is still a new app, though. I think that's also the thing that I'm like, it's still quite a new app. It's not. Is it? No. Well, it depends the on. The is three years old. It, it depends on, like, when I say new app, I mean in the consciousness of humans kind of app. Like, <laughs> we are in the PKM space. So Obsidian was a PKM app still is a pkm app but yeah i think it can be a, a hot take i think it could be an everything app don't say all in one don't do it i'm don't not saying say i mean it can be it can be it can be I, I must admit i think i would go back on what i said about um notion when when i said notion could be an all-in-one app but should it be i don't think it can no because I found things using Obsidian that I can't do in Notion. I just, I just can't do it. Um, and that means it's not an all-in-one app. Obsidian, as of right now, I, I maybe in a year's time, we're like, no, it can't be. Uh, there's not anything that I can't do that, that I would want to do in that sort of app. Like, do I want to make it an all-in-one app? No. And is it an all-in-one app? I don't think so. Could it be? Yes, because you yeah. can do most of the things. Um, but I would still stick with do, using multiple applications like Zotero and some sort of task manager. I agree. Sort of I think I think the the allure of an all-in-one app sounds great in theory, but in practice it's like why? Yep. Yep. I um uh, if your aim if your aim is like efficiency and effectiveness and getting the most out of it. Why would you use an app that does everything okay-ish when you can use a dedicated app that is designed to do the things and fits your purpose exactly how you want it to be? So, yeah. Yeah, I had a conversation in a comment section of one of my videos um, about Obsidian and using other applications. And someone's using, I think they were using like four, what I would class as note takers at the same time. It's like, if it works for you, go for it but to me i only need one note taker because mm. obsidian does it all i only mm. need one reference manager 
because it, it does it all. <laughs> um, I, I think Zotero is what I get most questions about. Like most of the questions that I get are like, how do you use Zotero? Or how do you integrate Obsidian with Zotero? Or how do you get citations out of Obsidian? I use Zotero. <laughs> like a lot of it's academically focused, which is obviously the audience that I attract. Um, and it's just surprising how little Zotero and Obsidian, like the combination together is known in not the PKM space, if that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Jordan Peterson's got the essay app, which I did a review on. And I'm like, you're one of the, uh, arguably you're one of the biggest creators yeah, I watched academic. that video. I was like, wow, this is crap. <laughs> yeah, I was like, this app is I love how hard you were trying to be really like, so this is okay. This was kind of cool. But it's crap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it like, sucks. Why? <laughs> Mr. Yeah. Peterson, sir, would you like to be introduced to Obsidian? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm literally, I would love to have a conversation with academics, like larger academics and be like, have you seen this thing? Like, do you know what this tool is? I, I, Like I've said, I think a couple of episodes ago, um, a few episodes ago actually ago now, but I think Obsidian could be the VS Code of writing. Yep. VS Code is for coders. It's the go-to coding tool. Oh, I bloody love VS Code. The more I play in it, the more I'm like, oh, it can do that. Oh, that's nice. Oh, I don't have to completely create a new terminal just to test my code. I can literally do it inside it. <laughs> Why would you? You use can it? you can use the terminal inside of Obsidian as well now. It's called terminal. <laughs> <laughs> really original. Uh, I, I'm uh, one thing that I'm looking forward to trying out is with my content creation. When I'm creating content or ideas and generating these ideas that I'm going to play with, what I want to do is to have it automatically feed into Obsidian. Now, I know how to open it and save a file, and I can make ChatGPT or OpenAI, which is what I'm actually using, same thing, basically. Um, I can make it right in Markdown. So I can have, and I think it's local, yeah, it's still local storage. I don't need to be connected to the internet. As far as I'm aware, like my coding knowledge is like that, uh, very limited, but, I don't need to be connected to the internet to run a piece of code. Oh, I do need to be connected to the open AI, but apart from that, but I can save. Because code is obviously local. Yeah. As, as long as you can local. run it. As long as you can yeah. run it locally, yeah. So I'm I'm just like, oh, wait, hang on. I can automatically upload things into Obsidian. One thing yeah. I am going to be playing with is Git, because obviously now I'm starting coding. I'm like, okay, cool. I want to try what, see what Git does. I got a spike on that video for some reason. Like that video yeah. sort of plodding along. I was looking at the graphs the other day, uh, and then it suddenly just went whoop. It's <laughs> like, oh, okay, loads of people want to back up their uh, their Obsidian with Git. Nice, cool. Have fun. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> but I did my best with that video, but Git is still a pain in the ass to do with sometimes. Mm. I haven't had to fiddle with it for a while because I set it up, and I sort of it's a set and forget. But mm. that's Obsidian. Set it and forget it. Yeah. So, but yeah, Canvas, love it. I, I'm looking forward to um, recreating everyone's Notion spaces inside of Obsidian um, and then making it better because Obsidian's better. Uh, I could recreate my actual Notion system inside of Obsidian. I, my brain's just like, oh, 
That would be here, that would be here, this would be here, this would be that, that would be this. I could recreate what I created in Notion and Obsidian very quickly. I was reading a thread this morning on Reddit uh, about Notion to Obsidian, and this person went from Notion to Obsidian, they're going back to Notion, and the reasons were the table experience in Obsidian is really bad, uh, which understandable because Markdown doesn't do tables very well, but why would you need tables? Don't get it. Um, the databases in Notion are better than Obsidian's. Uh, that's because Obsidian what? isn't... What? Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, that's because, one, Obsidian isn't a database-focused app because it doesn't go inline. Like, the database is inline they were talking about specifically. Yeah, and I was like... View. Data view? Data fucking view? Exactly. Um, and then they said uh, there isn't enough online help for obsidian and i was like um have you looked at the forum or looked at the discord or looked at i don't know or looked at youtube yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i was kind of insulted as a youtube creator i'm like sorry. yeah i bet <laughs> sorry sorry you Excuse literally me. have an hour-long video guiding people you have one literally showing your um... i have more than one i have like four hour-long videos of vault builds <laughs> Uh, yeah um but yeah and those are the reasons and i was like i understand their bias because they've been in notion for a long time i think it was like two plus years um which okay you're biased yes you're more comfortable with notion and it's easier to go back um mm -hmm. but the reasons they gave made literally no sense it's it's like saying i don't like playing football because the goal like uh, well yeah exactly the, the goal looks weird and i don't like kicking a ball and i'm like well, Duh! <laughs> but you've gone to you've gone to something that does exactly what you said you don't like. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe approach it in a different way and use the tool the way the tool is meant to be used as a text editor, not as a. Someone put it um, in the thread. Someone put Notion is a SaaS app where you just put blocks, move things around. It's not for actually doing things. Like it's not for writing, which no. I don't think it is. No, I, I think this goes back to one of our really early episodes, like from season one, where we spoke to um Layla from Process Driven, and she said it's a it's Last an in app. The past. I know, right? Um of like where no <laughs> notion people who use Notion are using it to feel productive, to not actually do things, which I agree. And it's true. I was spending more time redesigning my notion and you can see it in the notion community. I've redesigned my space again. And I'm like, why? I think there is certainly an element of that. And I think we agreed with her at the time. Like there are a lot of people doing that. We were at a point where we had our systems and we were working. Yeah. Um, so it worked for us, but, but it the, took a lot but, of time the, to get there. Yeah. And also the moment something tweaks or you want to try something new or something update. evolves in a different way or an update it becomes annoying that that's something i love about obsidian and hate about obsidian when it's updated you have no idea it's updated yeah <laughs> unless you're looking at the announcements or paying attention to people on youtube or the newsletter or something Ooh, like yeah. that <laughs> I don't know it's update. I, I've only got plugin updated because I keep forgetting about plugins to update. But Obsidian update, I probably actually it's probably had another update and I just haven't updated it. <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. Like the unless you're paying attention to all the updates or someone that's sharing all the updates, like Eleanor's newsletter or my recap series, like you wouldn't know it's been updated. You wouldn't know that it's been changed in any way because you just use it. How many updates do you have? 
Mine's up to date. Oh, look at you. So is mine, but then I'm on it like every minute yeah. every day. So yeah. <laughs> I when I go into my test vault now, because I have quite a few plugins in there, actually, let me just bring up my test vault. I love the fact you can link vaults inside of a an obsidian vault. So I just have a link that brings up whatever vault I'm in. I'm like, ah, oh, that's cool. Um yeah, so <laughs> Yeah, plugin updates trackers like um what are you doing? Sorry, excuse me. <laughs> uh, so I James have thing. yes, I have 108 plugins installed. <laughs> um yeah, I have 108 plugins installed. Uh there we go, it, it figured it out. But when at the beginning of a week, I, I have uh, a way to actually let's go. So um oops, didn't want to do that middle one so that's what i clicked to get the test vault up and here is the website that i use for tracking tracking um all the changes and stats but uh, this is all the task stuff video coming out today which would have been last week when you see this um but down here i got plus two and, and i can see okay ava's been updated and terminal has been updated terminal's the plugin i was talking to you about um and then i can see hey these are all the updates. yeah okay there's nothing in there exciting um that's basically what my update is. I just looked around like, mm, yeah, nothing really notable, just bug fixes and stuff. Uh, but because I have this this plugin right here and it checks for everything, I have like a, a second like backup check. If the plugin stats website doesn't pick it up, it if I've looked at it before, it will show me. And I don't have to, I I, I don't push this button. It, it just no. doesn't happen. Um, no. And, and the reason this is useful or the reason if you don't have this plugin, it's useful. It, well, it's it's good and not good. Is your vault will never get broken by an update. Oh, I'll stop sharing now. Your vault will never get broken by an update. It will only get broken by an update if you update something that needs the new version of Obsidian. Like if you install a plugin that is a recent plugin that uses a new version of Obsidian, then you'll get conflict and the error will be like, hey, you're using the wrong version of Obsidian. Like, oh shit. And then you go have a look and you're actually like four months out of date by accident because you don't update the installer at all. Um, yes, hands up. Uh, <laughs> the installer isn't an automatic thing. You have to actually like re-download the application for the installer to be updated. Um. But yeah, and I think that's good. Like Obsidian can fiddle around with what they want and you could be fine. You can just carry yeah. on. So if Obsidian yeah. dies, which hopefully, fingers crossed, it never does. <laughs> but if Obsidian does die, you're fine. You're good. You just keep going. Yeah, that, that that's actually a really cool thing. Like, if Notion just... dies, <laughs> bye. We know what happens when Notion dies. Day off work. <laughs> <laughs> That was well, so agonizing. When you think about Dynalist, the application that the Obsidian developers left, that still works. That's still functional. People still use it for some weird reason. People that liked Dynalist, Obsidian is like Dynalist 2.0. Yeah. It's just better in every way, in my opinion. Um, but Dynalist still works. You can still use it. Obsidian's the same. If the developers suddenly go, yep. We're gone. Bye. It still works. It's still fine. Yeah. No, it's not open source, so you're not going to be able to change the base code. But if that does happen, I don't think the Obsidian developers will be closed to the idea of making it open source because, to my understanding, their reasoning of it being closed, like the, the core Obsidian base being closed, is because they don't want random people coming in and then changing stuff. Yeah. 
I just, I'm just so excited for the potential. Like, just this is why I love tech. This is why I care. This is why I do what I do. Because when you when you find a tool that really fits you, that really suits your way in your context, in your unique situation, it can be life changing. And I mean that genuinely. Like it is. I could not do what I do now without the knowledge that I've gained from the tools in the past, including Notion. I have to give props. I mean, we are very critical of Notion. But for me, I don't know whether you agree, but without Notion, I wouldn't be using Obsidian. Because Notion taught me and gave me a little bit of space to go, hey, you can work in your way. You don't just have to follow a certain rule set. You can build your own without having to code. And because of that, because I started questioning my task making habits, my project making habits, my note taking habits, and like, well, well, how do I, well, why do I have to do it like this? Why do I have to think about it like that? Because I started questioning those things, it made me figure out the way that I work and the way that I function and I function best in my unique, mad, crazy, silly way. And then when I open Obsidian every day, I'm like, I find every task I need to do. I remember that I've got a podcast episode to upload. I remember that I've got to reply to a bunch of people. I have it all there and I don't have to go oh, this is a terrible me being stupid and dumb and this and that, because I'm like, well, yeah, I am not able to remember everything because that isn't fully how our brains are designed to work. But I don't have to know that. Your podcast episode, do you have that as a recurring task in the task plugin? Uh, which, which one? You said you need to upload a podcast episode. Do you have that as a recurring task? Yeah. Well, just like every week. Okay, I was I wasn't sure where where do you store the original task because obviously once you've completed a task it recreates the task <coughs> with the new. So um, where I store it is let me let me share my screen because you know sharing screens. Sharing is caring. Yeah, exactly. Um, so where I have it is right at the bottom here. I have a little section which just says all recurring tasks on my dashboard portal. Right. So I have it at I the have... bottom here. Did you take the dashboard portal from me or did you come up with that on your own? I think I got it from you and also from me because I'm like, oh, I need this. This is how I want it to look. I took the code from you. I think. Yeah, I know you took the data view query from me. Yeah, but... no, I'm looking at that. I'm like, that's exactly what I do. I basically have one file that has all the stuff I want on my dashboard and then I just mm. go... I want yeah. this heading over here. I want that heading over there. Yeah, that's that's what I wanted. So I'm like, cool, yay. Yeah. And then I have my to-do list recurring only. And then I have, because what I didn't like was how full this became. And so I have a data view query. Oh, no, it's actually a task query. Sorry, not a data yeah, view query. That's a task query. Um, I have a, uh, a query just to say, you know, all the stuff that's not done is recurring and due before in seven days. And then I add that here. And you and show then, everything and you don't hide anything because you like seeing all of the lovely emojis. Yeah. 
I'm probably going to change that once playing with the thing that the video that you're going to release today. I'm probably going to go and play that. And, and I don't look at this page either because it's bloody there and I just love it. It's so nice. And Capture Pad is just, I love the Capture Pad. Capture Pad. I love it. I love it so much. It's 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 what what I use the most when I open up my Obsidian. I'm just mm -hmm. like, oh, what, what have I got to? Do? I call it a brain dump. But what have I got to do? I'm like, oh yeah, there was that thing. Oh yeah, there was that thing. Like I'm looking at it now, and I've just I've just reminded myself of something that I put in there. Like I was trying to go to sleep, and I was like, ah, oh, it's a really cool idea. I should do that. I just added it on my phone, and I'm looking at it now. I'm like, oh yeah, I, re I remember thinking about that last night. <laughs> Yes, yeah, and that's the thing. It's just serendipitous. It's like, oh yeah, cool. I remember that. I just looked at it and went, oh yeah, I need to add that to the lesson that I'm going to release. Oh yeah, I need to do this, and it's just that. <laughs> yep, <clears throat> love it. We probably should stop now. <laughs> yes, I was going to say we should probably stop talking. So, uh, thanks everyone for listening. See you guys next week. <laughs>